Good morning. It is always a blessing to be with you. I think all of us have this deep desire to belong. And most of the time, it seems like the best way to belong is to figure out how to fit in. And I don't think there has ever been a time in my life where I tried harder to fit in than when I was in middle school. I barely got out of middle school alive. Let's just put it there, right? Middle school was not my my favorite time in life. But I, I remember feeling like if I was going to survive, I needed to fit in. Now, I didn't really talk that way. In fact, my friends and I would sit around and talk about how we were going to be different and make our mark and stand out. But we ironically had those conversations about being different while wearing the same shirts and jeans and shoes. And I mean, the same brand, not the actual same shirt and jean and shoes. But you know what I mean. And and then we all of our backpacks said Jansport and... We all had the same haircut and had the same gel in the same haircut. And we kept talking about how different we were from everybody else. And, and the thing that, that you'd find is, you know, we, we wanted, at some level, two things at the same time that we couldn't figure out how to balance. Uh, and if we noticed in our friend group, if, you know, we noticed that we were not exactly alike, we, we wouldn't have to talk about that. The, the person who noticed that would just quickly make an adjustment and try to get in line and be just like the rest of us so that we could say that we all like the same TV shows and the same music and the same sports teams and all that stuff. And I think I thought at some point in my life, you know, I would naturally outgrow this, this feeling that really if I was going to make it, I needed to belong at least to some group, and if I was going to belong, I needed to figure out how to fit in. But I find that even now, 24 years after managing to survive middle school, that I have these moments where I still want to be like the people that the world says are the best kinds of people, the, the powerful, the wealthy, the influential. And so I find myself inexplicably drawn to, to surface things that might make me like those people, right? The same kinds of cars and the same kinds of, you know, smartphones and the same kinds of clothes that everybody says are the best, the same neighborhoods to live in. And, and while I don't have all those things, it's not because I don't struggle with wanting those things. I, I wish I could tell you that, that we're all going to wake up one morning and we're just simply not going to care about belonging, and, and by extension, we're not going to care about trying to figure out how to fit in, how to look like all the people that the world says are the best kinds of people. But I have found that that is, for the vast majority of us, a lifelong struggle. Now, I don't know where this desire to fit in with the people that the world has labeled as the, the cool crowd, where that comes from. I know it doesn't come from the heart of God. You know, maybe it, it comes from this brokenness inside most of us where we feel like we're kind of all on our own. And if we're all on our own, we know that we're not enough. We're not, we're not special enough to, to matter as much as we want to. We're not important enough to make the kind of difference we want to make. And so we decide that we need to be with other people in order to matter enough, in order to be important enough, in order to be worthy enough. And we tend to always gravitate towards those people that the majority of the folks in our lives would say, look at them, I want to be like them. 
And it's hard for us to pick and choose which behaviors, which skin-deep types of decisions we're going to make and how we're at the same time going to resist becoming just like those people who may or may not be people of faith. When Jesus is preaching this Sermon on the Mount, he makes it clear by the words that he speaks that he's not talking to a crowd filled with people who are already in the in crowd. Blessed are those who feel like losers, he says. Blessed are the brokenhearted and the pushed over. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for something they don't yet have. Blessed are those who who people feel like they just get taken advantage of time and time again by people who hurt them. But blessed are the people who are naive. Blessed are the people who have enemies on every side, it seems. Blessed are the people who are rejected and insulted because of who they are. Jesus doesn't start his sermon by speaking to a crowd full of self-assured people. He is clearly preaching a sermon to people who have to be afraid that they don't matter enough because they aren't special enough, that have to be afraid that they're not important enough to make a difference. And my guess is that crowd is filled with people who are primarily there because everybody's talking about Jesus and he's, he's climbing the social ladder in Israel and they think that maybe if they get in on the ground floor right here at the beginning that they'll somehow find a way to develop a relationship, a connection with this, this new famous celebrity preacher. And if, if they are seen as being one of his people, if, if somebody walks by and notices that they get to have conversations with him and they interact with him, then somehow maybe, even though on their own they're, they're not worth much and they're not that special and they don't know how to, how to feel good about themselves, then maybe if they're connected to him somehow, some way, all of that will change. And when Jesus says words of unconditional blessing... In every direction, from people who are downcast, who come from every direction, who come from all over the countryside, and he starts to talk about God blessing them, don't you think that what they're hoping is that that blessing would mean that they would somehow suddenly fit in and be somebody? And so as he transitions from talking about that blessing... And he starts to talk about not just how God sees them, and it's important for them to understand how God sees them, that they understand that God not only sees them, but God knows them and God loves them and God is hard at work trying to bless them and they need to open their hearts to believe in that blessing. He starts to talk about not just a blessing, not just how God sees them, but he starts to talk about an invitation. He talks about a call. It's a call, it's an invitation that they're only going to be able to respond to when they understand and partner with the blessing that God already wants to give them. But it is a call, a challenge, an invitation nonetheless. And my guess is, when he transitions from talking about how God loves them and sees them, and he starts to talk about 
what kind of difference that's supposed to make in their life, that's where things start to get even more troubling and hard for them to understand. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 13. So he says, you're blessed. Whoever you are, you're blessed. And you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. By the way, that means it's a one-room house. If you have one lamp and you can lift it up and it gives light to the whole house, you live in a one-room house. So it's a reminder of the kinds of people Jesus is speaking to. It shines on all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. The salt and light can do a lot of things, but one thing they don't do is blend in with their surroundings. Salt and light are only truly useful when they don't fit in. Salt and light only really work when they stand out in ways that no one can deny. Now, think about how uncomfortable this transition is in the Sermon on the Mount. If you primarily came to listen to Jesus so that you can get close to Jesus, so you can fit in and become somebody, and then the first thing he says that's a challenge, that's an invitation is, I want you to be so different that everybody's going to notice. How do you think that made those folks feel? That Jesus was saying, you're blessed, but you have this calling, and the calling is for you to live a life where you are undeniably unlike everybody else. Now that takes a kind of of confidence, that takes a kind of courage that my guess is the vast majority of the people in Jesus' audience just didn't have yet. I want you to be undeniably unlike everybody else around you to the point where they, they can't help but notice that difference. The only way for salt and light to work is, is for this, this difference, this holy, sacred, kingdom difference to be present. Now, you've heard this kind of sermon before. You, you've listened to this kind of Bible class before. You just listened to James talk about what does it mean to be people who are in the world but not of it. I don't think it's that you and I have, have ever struggled from the first time we heard somebody talk like this to understand the concept. You could, you could teach this class. You could preach this sermon. You understand the concept. The question is, do we have a sense that it's not optional? And are we working as hard as we know how to work with the Holy Spirit Are we partnering with the Spirit in our own lives to figure out what this actually means? For us to be so different from the world around us. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to be, your good life, your different good life is going to be the evidence to the people around you of a good God. And you're going to live in such a distinctive way that the lost people around you are going to, 
to ask themselves, not only, not, not only why you're different, but what, where are you getting the strength to continue to be different? How, how is it that you're, you're managing to, to not act like anybody else, to not treat anyone like anybody else treats the, the, the people around them, especially the people who are, are different from them? How, how is this possible? You know, and, and it's clear, both in, in this section of the sermon and in other places where Jesus is talking, it's clear that Jesus is not intending for his followers, for us to be salt and light, for us to be different sacredly and, and, and holy and, and set apart and different so that we'll make people feel worse about themselves. That's, that's not the kind of sacred, holy difference he's talking about. He wants us to be different in a way that causes curiosity and inspiration and hope in the people around us when they see us living in this way, this Jesus way of life, that on the face of it doesn't make any sense to somebody who hasn't tried to live it yet. And in a world that insists that when we live in such a way where our lives are marked by unconditional love, that it's impractical, that it doesn't make any sense, that it's, that it's wrong-headed and it, and it never really works. There are going to be many times in this sermon, in the words of Jesus, where we wonder if, if he understands the way the world works and we wonder how realistic any of it is, but I wonder if we, if we can see it right here at the beginning of just exactly what Jesus is trying to help us envision. And that is that we would be people who decide that there is somebody that we want to conform to. But it's just one somebody. And it's not someone that the world has consistently labeled as, as somebody who belongs to or gets to run the, the cool crowd or the in crowd or whatever you want to call it, there's only one person that we want to imitate and copy and try to be just like, and it's Jesus. And we don't get to pick and choose the things that he talks about, the things that he says, and how much we're going to trust or believe. We're either all in or we're not. Salt and light, he says. Are, are we really willing to wrestle with what that is going to look like in our lives? Or are we just going to keep talking about it? I, I think about it this way. You know, we, we know that, that salt has to get out of the salt shaker t- to work, and that's true for us. It doesn't help the world if you and I tend to stay in already salty places. We know that it doesn't matter how bright, a light happens to be if it's shining outside and there's not a cloud in the sky and it's noon. But what kind of difference does a single point of light make in a, in a dark cave somewhere, right? It not only shows you where you are, it also has the power to show you where you, you need to go next. Both salt and light have to make contact to make a difference. But when they come into contact with something that is unsavory or dark, they have the power to change it. It's not going to do us or the world any good to decide that the best way to be salt and light is to stay in one community and never have the, have the courage and the confidence to go out. And to somehow, through relationship with God and with one another, be able to carry the values and the heart and the compassion of this community with us. 
as we, as we encounter people who belong to other communities that go by other names. They're the ones who would notice the difference. They're the ones who would finally be able, through God's help, to see something. Maybe that, that's right in front of their eyes that they've just never been able to see before. To taste and see that the Lord is good. It's only going to happen if you and I have the courage to make contact with people, to rub shoulders with people who are distinctively not, they're not like people we tend to, to want to spend our life with, the, the people that we're naturally drawn to. You know, Christianity is, is not something that you become a part of so that you can maintain your comfort zones. Christianity is not a faith where we're supposed to come up with all kinds of reasons why we don't have to go out there and live and love and serve and maybe be overlooked and walked over. Maybe have people treat us like we aren't anybody special. And the reason we're able to keep going, the reason we're able to keep that difference in our lives is because we believe that, that God loves us and God knows us and God is the only is, is the only being in all of existence that gets to set our value and our worth. Nobody else gets to do that. No, no other community gets to do that. Jesus does that. The Holy Spirit does that. God, God's the only being in all of creation that gets to say that you're somebody, that you matter. And so we want to be people who not only receive that, who not only believe that for ourselves, but, but brothers and sisters, I believe that it's that heart of the, of the message that would make us stand out to other people as we interact with them, as we, as we move through the world intentionally as, as disciples. This sense that before, before you're anything else, you're loved, and we want to be the community, we want to be the people that help you experience that love, and that we trust that love is what changes people, not the threat of fear, but love. If you've been here any length of time at all at Southern Hills, you know that we care very much, that we're in love with God's mission. In fact, if you picked up a bulletin this morning, you'll notice that there's a, a very detailed insert that kind of fills you in on what's going on this year already with, with our partnering with the mission of God. And one of the things that Lauren and I, when we were considering coming here uh, two years ago uh, to join you here in this church family, one of the things that, that stood out to us from the very beginning is how much this church is in love with God's mission. And I got to go on a, on a trip this year to Haiti to be a part of, of one of our Let's Go trips. And I really want to encourage you, if you and your family haven't gone on a mission trip, a short-term mission trip, let this year be the year that you, you have that confidence and that courage to do it. But, but before I came here, right, a few years back... And, I was at a different church, but we, we cared about the mission of God, and we went on short-term mission trips that were, were very much like the Let's Go mission trips here. And it just so happened that I was, I was trying to get over to Russia. And I was nervous. I really only had, had traveled out of the country just a little bit into Mexico and a little bit into Canada. In other words, my international travel all happened in a car. 
And so for my first time, I'm going over to Russia. Lauren was nervous about it, and I was nervous about it and pretending that I wasn't nervous about it. But I remember our mission team talking over and over as we met together to plan that trip and to go on that trip that we were going to be salt and light. That was the phrase over and over again. We're going to be salt and light. We're going to be salt and light. Okay, so we, we get ready to get on the plane. Now, you may remember this. There was this unpronounceable Icelandic volcano that went off. You remember this? This was like April 2010. And I don't know if you know this, but planes can't fly through volcanic ash. I mean, it, it destroys their engines. So we were midway over the Atlantic when this thing goes off. So they divert us from Moscow to Madrid. And then I was stranded in Madrid with one other member of our team. Now, there are worse, admittedly, worse places to be stranded than Madrid, Spain. <laughs> it's a beautiful city. I just didn't want to be there, right? I had a mission. I wanted to, to get to where we were trying to go. And of all the people on the mission team, I had the least amount of time that I could be there. And so as we're stranded there in Madrid and day after day passes, and then all of Europe starts coming, all the people who need to pre- travel back to the U.S. start coming to Madrid because it's going to be the first international airport that gets opened back up. It, it begins to get clearer and clearer to me that I'm not going to make it to Moscow and I've got to at least try to start to get home. And even that's not looking good. And so every morning, me and Rick, this other guy we're on, uh, that we're on the mission trip, he's trying to get to Moscow because he, he still has time to get there. I'm trying to get back home. So we go to the airport and we stand in these insanely long lines and we try to get on a flight. And every day... For three straight days, hours of waiting, getting to the front of the line, being told, no, I'm sorry, there's no seats left on the plane. You'll have to come back tomorrow and try again. And one morning, uh, Rick gets on a plane to Moscow and leaves me there. And so after a good cry in the bathroom, uh, I decided it was going to be okay and I was, I was just going to keep doing what we were doing, right? We were, I was going to come back to the airport and, and try to get onto a, a flight. And I had noticed this, this, you know, this woman who worked for the airline. And you can, you can imagine how those days were for those folks. I mean, it wasn't their fault that this volcano went off. And it wasn't their fault that... Thousands and thousands of people were coming to the Madrid airport to try to get onto flights, but it was bad. Um, it, the way people were talking, um, because people were just getting more and more tired and stressed out and desperate, and it was just, it was ugly. And I got to tell you, I don't know how I would have acted had our group not been talking over and over and over about being salt and light being salt and light, because I was tired and desperate and frustrated and angry, but I tried really hard every time I get to the front of the line after two or three hours in line to be as kind and patient as possible. And I want to stress this. It was nothing heroic. It was just basic politeness and, and not being, I hope you, this may be a bad word in your house, not being a jerk, okay? So if you're not allowed to say that in your house, I'm sorry. But just not, not being the kind of person you're tempted to be in that kind of moment. And I watched this one woman who was, it didn't matter how anybody treated her, she was good to them in return. She was patient, she would listen to them, 
she would try to get them on the flight. And if she had to tell them no, she was as gracious to them as she could be. So I'm in line, and I'm, I'm thinking there's no way it's going to work this time. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I can tell. I'm like two, two and a half hours from the front of the line. And I suddenly look up, and she's standing next to me. And she says, can you come, come with me? So I'm thinking, okay. So we pull off to the side a little bit, and she's real quiet. And she says, Mr. Robinson, I, you've been here for days at the airport. You've, you've been here longer than most of the other people at the airport. I know you just want to get home. Um, and I just want to thank you for being kind to me. No, nobody else is being kind to me. I have a seat on this plane. You can't tell anybody. <laughs> if you can keep a secret, we're going to be okay. I'll get you on this plane. Can you keep a secret? <laughs> she picked the wrong person. I, I said, I won't tell anybody on the plane, but I'm going to have to tell the story later, I promise you. And she said, okay, just don't tell anybody in the airport. I said, okay. And she pulled out a necklace with a little cross on it, and she said, are you a Christian? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. She said, me too. And she gave me a hug, and she said, God be with you on your way home. And then she disappeared. She was just gone. And I had six hours on this flight home to think about that conversation and think about what had happened. And it was amazing to me that God could take basic politeness and kindness and turn it into something like salt and light. And that that I, all I did was give her a couple minute break from the person in front of me yelling at her and the person you know, behind me in line yelling at her. That's all I was giving her, and she found a way to get me home. Right? There's no comparison to the kind of salt and light that I was, I was being and the kind of salt and light she was being in return. But here were two people of faith in a difficult situation, and the way that we realized it, the way we... We connected the way we understood what was going on is through just basic politeness and kindness. And it started making me think through the fact. And, and this, it, was, it was an uncomfortable realization. I, I started to think about all the, the chances I have in my daily life, chances that, that I miss to treat people the way that I know God would want me to treat them. Right? The reason I was able to do that is because I was on a mission trip. So I was focused, and we talked and talked and talked about being salt and light. And for three of those days, Rick was with me, so I couldn't be rude in front of Rick, right? But then when Rick was gone, it was like, okay, but I still, the whole reason we're on this trip is to be salt and light, and I, I don't want to accidentally say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing that would, would represent God in a way that would cause somebody to think that Christians are just like everybody else. Right? That when we have a long, hard day, we're going to be rude and short and impatient just like everybody else. It was, it was simple stuff, and it started making me think, like, I'm really, I'm not nearly as focused as I should be in my daily life when somebody gets my order wrong. When somebody, you know, I'm in the right lane and I'm going the speed limit and somebody pulls out of a parking lot going two miles an hour and I have to slam my brakes on. You know, I mean, I'll never forget it. I, Riley must have been like four years old, and we were in Dallas in bad traffic, and we were, you know, at a light that had taken a long time, and we were one car back, and it turned. And before I could even 
try to start going, the car in front of us wasn't moving, and Riley said in, from her car seat, right foot, lady, right foot. You know, when somebody calls you in the middle of dinner to sell you something, uh, when someone loses your, your email and they, they never get back to you, when, when somebody makes you wait over an hour for an appointment that you were early for and you had to take time off work for, and you know how you, we could keep going with all the different moments, the daily moments, the opportunities you have to be different. And to know that that difference is sacred and holy, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that every single, I mean, we have daily opportunities, all of us. We have daily opportunities in our life to treat somebody in a different way than they expect to be treated, than they deserve to be treated, differently than, than almost anybody else would treat them. And I promise you, they would notice it. They do notice it. And as much as I have this push and pull in my own heart of wanting to fit in and wanting to be just like everybody else, when I think of it that way, I know I want to be different. And who cares if I don't fit in? And who cares if if everybody notices? I want to be different in this way. I want to be different in this kingdom way. I want people to stumble over it. I I want people to stop in their tracks and notice it. I want to be different like this. And I have to believe you want to be different this way. That's why you're here. So it's gentleness and kindness. It's salt and light. It's patience and self-control. Salt and light. It's wisdom and grace. Salt and light. It's love and peace, salt and light. It's you and it's me, salt and light. We can do this. It's not heroic. You just have to be awake in your own life. You have to pay attention. And when those opportunities present themselves, find a way to be Jesus to somebody and see how God uses it. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, uh, we're going to have some shepherding couples that will be located just out the, outside these double doors. There's a, a room and some space to pray. And if you came this morning you have any reason at all that you'd like to, to talk with, visit with, pray with a Christian couple, they're there to receive you. If, if you'd like to know more about what it means to become a Christian, they want to talk with you. It, if there's anything at all that our community could help you with, please go to them. It's Together We Stand and Sing.